You could get this on? Yeah, you got it on. A lot of times when people think of uh, James, first thing they think about is this chapter on the tongue. <clears throat> and uh, James doesn't seem to cut us much slack here. You'll notice in the scripture that we're going to look at, chapter 3. While I was pastoring down in the uh, in, uh, church plant that we started at uh, Moreno Valley, California, I was preaching on this book of James, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And as I finished chapter 2, like I did here last August, uh, one of the ladies who was a regular attender at our church came up and shook my hand, as she usually did, at the end of the service. And she told me that she wouldn't be there the next Sunday. And I asked her why. That was stupid. But, uh, <laughs> and she said, because you'll be preaching on the tongue. I see those empty seats today. <laughs> so, But anyway... We're going to plow into it. Isn't it incredible, if you ever think about it, the kinds of trouble our tongues can get us into constantly? Uh, Even Christians, we're not exempt from that, are we? Uh, That little muscle, more or less, that can start wars as well as end them, uh, can create stress or relieve it. It can express love as well as hate. Uh, it can build up with friendships or it can tear them down. Uh, that little, that with our tongue many times, we can praise and worship God, as James mentions here. And, uh, and later on, we can use those same instruments in our mouth. As we praise God, we can turn around and curse man who is made in the image of God. It's just not supposed to be that way, James stresses here. It's a true proverb that says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, of Proverbs 18.21. Now, many of us would never think about setting someone on fire and burning them at the stake, and yet uh, we can assassinate our friends, neighbors, and acquaintances with... uh, slander or gossip, and I don't think there is any one of us here today who have not felt the sting of unkind words that someone spoke about us. The tongue can instruct instruct the ignorant, it can encourage the dejected, it can uh, comfort the sorrowing and soothe the dying, or it can crush the human spirit. Destroy a reputation, spread gossip, and bring nations to the brink of war. The tongue, just that little tongue. The course of the problem is not really the tongue in itself, but the man's ability to control it, control it properly. It's the tongue that you gave me, Lord, not this wife you gave me, as Adam would say. In an English uh, country churchyard stands a, a slate of tomb, uh, tombstone that reads beneath this stone a lump of clay lies Annabella Young who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue <laughs> James implies here that uh, it's, there's many Annabellas in our world today 
who will never gain the control of their tongue until they're six feet under, uh, until they're cold in the grave. But remember, folks, uh, James he is writing to Christians here. In fact, he says, my brethren, three times in this passage of Scripture, from verse 1 through 12. Verse 1, he says, my brethren, verse 10, and verse 12, my brethren. So he's speaking to Christians. So is Christians have the problem with holding their tongue too then, don't they, or managing it. Uh, is it possible to manage our tongues? Well, I believe so. I believe so. Uh, this book of Proverbs that we have in our Bibles have many references to the tongue that, tongue that may help us to get a handle on it. It says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs ten nineteen. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens his mouth, his lips wide, shall come to ruin, Proverbs 13.3. And I like this one, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, verse 15.1. Many other verses, if you ever take your concordance, or especially if a complete concordance, Strong's concordance or whatever, and just look up the word tongue. There's many other verses in the Old Testament as well as the New. And Ephesians, Colossians mentioned it. In our radio, on our radio uh, in our car, I've got three stations that are punched in and that, that we listen to as we travel. And Lou and I do quite a bit of traveling as we just got back from down south. One is a classic country music station. Some old songs, Merle Haggard, uh, Patsy Cline, uh, Several of the old ones, you know, and uh, it, I used to listen to as a milk cows, and uh, and then the second button I got pushed in is the songs of the fifties, which we were kind of raised on, you know, and uh, the third one is gospel music. Well, one day we were driving along; we've been going for along for about an hour, and uh, it's kind of quiet, and I was just kind of humming along with some of these stations that I had the classic country stations on, and. Uh, Pretty soon, Lou makes a comment. She hasn't said anything for quite a while. She says, you ever notice most of those songs have to do with drinking or cheating? Now, with that comment, she just ruined a lot of my good songs. <laughs> Country music. I never used to listen to the lyrics, but now I do. And uh, I guess the scripture would apply, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. I wish she didn't love me so much. <laughs> kept uh, to herself. But anyway, we're going to take a look at this scripture here in James chapter 3. So if you'd please stand, we'll read that. James chapter 3, 1 through 12. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Verse 3. Now if you put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by the very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Verse 5. 
So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set afire by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Verse 7. For every species of beasts and birds or reptiles and the creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From this same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send forth from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word as usual, Lord. He comes across pretty hard here, Father. But obviously... uh, It's something to be mentioned that James emphasizes here. And I believe you do too. We've all messed up many times in what we've said. Some things that we wish we could have taken back. God forgive us for that as we move on, Lord. Teach us something today from your word. Let us hearts, as Dan has prayed, let our hearts and mind be open to what you have to say, Father. And you, God, you speak to every person, young or old, here today. And that we will... Take the word to our heart, and we'll change our lives if need be. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated, folks. I believe we can easily break down these 12 verses into uh, four different categories, or as I put in the outline that you've seen here in your bulletin, four types. The first type, type number one, is the influential tongue, the influential tongue. James says the power of the tongue can influence many people. And his example, of course, is teachers. And Gary would probably know that more than anybody. It means how he was a teacher for many years. It seems many Jews who became Christians wanted to become teachers of God's word. And we can't blame them for doing so. You can imagine all the old, time, old scripture, what we call the Old Testament scripture, all coming together from Genesis 3.15 to the prophecy of the Messiah coming, and they all got it together all of a sudden as they put their, trace, their faith in Jesus Christ, and they say, wow, now it comes together. Now we see this prophecy coming true. And they're excited about it. They want to teach. They want to tell somebody about it. So James, he knows that. He's, pre- he's uh, writing this letter to the 12 tribes who were dispersed abroad, as you see in chapter 1. Here, Christians, Jewish Christians. And so, but he says, he warns them that although it's good to want to teach, he says, the teacher's responsibility is great because their words affect people's lives. He says there's a, a stricter judgment awaiting those that uh, want to teach because they have the power to influence so many people. I've read this verse many times myself through the past 30, 40 years, and it still gives me a twinge of fear in my heart when I come in back of a pulpit or in a Sunday school class or Bible study. It should, that should hit all of us. Just a little bit of fear, what comes out of our mouth as we teach. 
Jesus said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it is better for him to a heavy millstone tied around his neck and put drowned in the depths of the sea. He says in Matthew 18.6. Now, we know that VBS is asking for some Sunday school, or teachers to teach vacation Bible school. Uh, so don't back off on account of that. Just beware of what James is saying here. A teacher must be careful to teach the truth and not his or her own opinions or their own prejudices. It's easy for a teacher to distort the truth. Very easy. We're in a place of authority for teaching, and especially for teaching young people. Uh, they might say, they saying, hanging on every word you're saying, and they say whatever you think, whatever you're saying, and they're going to hang on those as the gospel. So we got to be careful. And a teacher must be careful uh, that he does not contradict his teaching by his life, and that he shouldn't. Uh, <coughs> students won't ever uh, be able to hear what he's saying or she's saying, because they're listening to what he or she is. Uh, someone has once said years ago, I heard it, your life speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you say. So we have to be careful about that. A teacher usually reproduces himself or herself in the lives of his students, their students. Jesus said so himself in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. He says, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's kind of scary. Uh, you know, I, I only saw one place in uh, Scripture well, that Paul was bold enough to, he says, be imitators of me. Uh, I have not come to that place yet. Uh, you know, but I, I think we're all supposed to. Uh, teachers can do so much good. Uh, but James warns us that we also can do a lot of harm. Now notice verse 2 again. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole tongue, or excuse me, the whole body as well. We can all look back in our lives, all of us, I'm sure, and wish we had never said something that we said. Uh, it's, it's disastrous, isn't it, <laughs> to, to, to feel that way. But in other words... Uh, we haven't arrived to this place of perfection that James is talking about here. And yet, as I looked up this word perfect here in this scripture, it means maturity. Maturity. So a, a true mark of Christian maturity is the control of the tongue. That's it. So it's obtainable. Since a teacher uses his or her tongue more than most, they are more likely than to stumble on what they say is what he's saying here James is just warning the teachers be very careful my friend he says what you teach it's influential the next type of tongue that James deals with here is the controlled tongue type number two the controlled tongue verses three and four well he gives us two examples here of what a controlled tongue can accomplish these Jewish believers can identify with both examples. But then so can we, really. Uh, verse 3, his example, he says, uh, uh, the bit in the horse's mouth. We can understand that. And the second example he gives in verse 4, the rudder on a ship. Uh, we can all picture a large, powerful, perhaps a draft horse, 
that can be controlled by that small piece of metal placed in its mouth. A child can direct and control uh, an animal ten times his or her weight with just the proper use of a small bit. And without direction and discipline, the horse can serve of no purpose to man at all. So too, the person who has an unbridled tongue can serve no useful purpose to God. When the tongue is brought under control, the control of God, then the whole body is brought under control as well. That's what he's talking about here in verse 2. Now, what about the ship that is controlled by that very small rudder? Now, most of James's readers, they could identify with this term too. They, They saw those large cargo ships uh, in their area because, remember, Israel boarded the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, these sailing vessels could be very difficult to control when the winds were strong, as, G- as James mentions here. And yet that control is yielded to the tiny rudder compared to the massive ship. A tongue that is controlled has the power to control the destiny of a person, like the rudder uh, from uh, um, that controls the destiny of the ship and keeps it from crashing into the rocks and eventually sinking. And yet a tongue left uncontrolled is like the ship left entirely to the mercy of the wind. And it will never reach its destination. And God's destination for each one of us, we should know that by now, is to become more like his son, Jesus. And that's to be happening right here on this earth. Uh, it's a goal that we want to set for ourselves. Uh, let's, not the un- let's not let the uncontrolled tongue hinder us from that destination that God wants to bring us to. <clears throat> Excuse me. The next type of tongue that James deals with is a destructive tongue. The destructive tongue, verse 5 and 6. Let's take a look at it again. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Strong words he's using here. So James is saying that a gigantic fire can be ignited by just a very tiny spark, the NIV says, or a small fire. Most of us have witnessed what uh, a small fire from a careless camper can do. Or a cigarette tossed out the window of a car driving by can burn down thousands, destroy thousands of woodland, thousands of acres of woodland. Just this past summer, we all witnessed that right in our neighborhoods, more or less, as many were fighting fires that went on for weeks and weeks. What they can do, they destroyed thousands of acres. In 1871, there was a Chicago fire that destroyed almost half the city in a short period of time leaving 125,000 people homeless and believed to be caused by a little lantern in to light a barn. Just a little flame and a lantern. Light that barn. Some say a cow must have kicked it over. That's because somebody didn't want to take blame themselves, I suppose. (laughs) Always blaming the cows. In 1953, a pan of rice boiled over 
into a charcoal stove in a small home in Korea. Within 24 hours, almost 3,000 buildings were completely destroyed. It's doubtful that there's anything in nature that is more destructive than the out-of-control fire, as a lot of firemen would tell you. James says, though it's a small member of the body, it should never be underestimated the extent of the destructive power our tongues can have. Words spoken carelessly, unwisely, or in the fit of anger can set ablaze families, lifelong friendships, marriages, churches, communities, and the list goes on and on. Just careless words, unwise words. Before you speak, you should ask three things. Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Now, it might be true what you're passing on to the neighbor, but is it necessary? And is it kind? Like an out-of-control fire, the under- or out-of-control tongue can do terrible amount of damage. The source of this fire is hell itself, James says here in verse 6. Satan uses the tongue to divide people, to put them against one another, pit them against one another. Church members are not exempt. You and I have both seen that in a lot of churches. They just start squabbling among one another. It usually starts with some, something, careless words, someone has spoken. Churches are not exempt. Idle, careless words are damaging because they spread destruction quickly. And no one can stop the results once they've been spoken, once they've been ignited, set ablaze. It reminds me of a story that you probably heard as well as I did years ago about a man who had a troubled conscience. And he went to a monk for advice. He told the monk that he had circulated the story about a friend only to find out later the story was not true. If you want to make peace with your conscience, said the monk, uh, you must fill a bag of chicken feathers. Go to every porch in the village and drop on each porch one fluffy chicken feather. So the man did it. He did what he was told. And he came back and he told the monk, he says, I've done my penance. And he says, not quite yet. He says, now go back, take the same bag, and go around and gather up each one of those feathers that you dropped. But the wind by now must have carried him away, he said. It would be impossible to pick up those feathers. Yes, my son, said the monk. So it is with gossip, slander, and lies. Words are easily dropped. But no matter how hard you try, you can never get them back again. Will Rogers once said, Live so that you want... Excuse me, live so that you won't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. <laughs> and Socrates said, when men speak ill of you, so live that nobody will ever believe them. Wow. And Jesus said, it's not what enters the mouth that defiles a man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man in Matthew fifteen eleven, <clears throat> The destructive tongue can do a lot of destruction. The next type of uh, tongue that James deals with is type number four, the inconsistent tongue, the inconsistent tongue. Verses 7 through 12, he gives us some examples of that. Great examples here. I tell you, you could read this 
And, and the, the smallest of children could read this and they could pick up on what the problem is here. These are very simple examples that James says. Verses 7 and 8, he says, Man can control every species or tame every species of beasts, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea. And yet, he's not able to control or tame the tongue. Why the inconsistency? The tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison, he says in verse 8. The, de- <clears throat> the deceptive thing about poison is that it works secretly, slowly, till it eventually kills. How many times has some mal- malicious person injected just a bit of poison into a conversation, hoping that it would spread and finally get to the person that he or she wanted to hurt? <clears throat> A man once said to the preacher John Wesley, I'm sure most of you have heard of him, he said, Mr. Wesley, I pride myself in speaking my mind, even if it hurts. That's my talent. And Wesley responded, I'm sure the Lord wouldn't mind if you buried that talent. (laughs) Yeah, amen to that. One wrong whispered word may spoil a reputation or smear a character or destroy a useful life. King David wrote in Psalm 141.3 from the Living Bible, I'll read this. Help me, Lord, to keep my mouth shut and my lips sealed. Pretty well says. Well, James goes on and illustrate the inconsistency and some more inconsistencies of the tongue. Verse 10. With the same mouth we bless the Lord God and we turn around and curse men and speak evil of them. Inconsistent. Have you ever sang songs of praise in a church or hymns and worship service on Sunday morning and then after the service you got into your car and spoke some critical words about someone that's in the church? Or roasted the preacher for dinner that day? We all have been guilty of that once in a while, haven't we? My brethren, these things ought not to be this way, James says in verse 10. That's inconsistent Christianity, he said. Stop it. Stop it. Leave those who have wronged you, who have injured you with their words, leave them in God's hands. It's easier said than done. Sometimes I know that for experience. Leave them in God's hand. James goes on, and he mentions more inconsistencies in verse 11 and 12 that we looked at. Excuse me. Does a fountain send out forth the same opening, both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or vine produce figs? Can uh, Neither can salt water produce fresh water. <clears throat> Nature itself teaches that not no one can, has ever drank or can ever drew, we could say, uh, both fresh water and bitter water from the same spring. It's an inconsistent with nature for a fig tree to produce olives or for a grapevine to produce figs. Neither can salt water produce fresh water, he says in verse 12. Each must produce after its own kind. And as nature produces after its own kind, folks, your heart produces after its kind. You see, it's not a mouth problem, folks, here. It's a heart problem. Jesus said so himself in Matthew twelve thirty four. He says, 
For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. If the tongue is inconsistent, there is something radically wrong with the heart. David prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. Psalm 51.10. We've heard that one before. We sing it many times. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And remember, David was a man after God's own heart. And David didn't say that. God said that about David. That's what's exciting. In Acts chapter 13, 22, you'll find, find that. He said, he was a man after my heart. And yet David realized the importance of a clean heart when he blew it. <coughs> Excuse me. I want the problem. <coughs> and we should too. Something's the matter with the heart. It's not quite right. He knew it. We should know it. A clean heart produces a clean mouth. <coughs> Excuse me. Proverbs sixteen twenty three says, A wise man's heart uh, guides his mouth. So now, let's go back and look again at that verse 8 that is a hang-up for a lot of Christians because they say, Well, I know I didn't say something I should have said. I said something wrong, but... After all, no one can tame the tongue. James says so right here. <clears throat> Where's our hope? Where's our hope? Is there any hope for us to ever tame our tongue, to bridle it, <clears throat> if no one can? Note this verse does not say that the tongue cannot be tamed. It does declare, however, that no man can tame it. When the NIV puts man that way instead of no one. <clears throat> There's been times that I felt I had complete control of my tongue. It was under control. And just about then I cut loose with some sentence or some something that only proved this verse in verse 8 was true. More than once I've had to go back and apologize to my wife, to one of my kids, to someone in church or a neighbor because of some unwholesome, careless words, vindictive words, came flying out of my mouth. It seems that no power, no promises, no uh, resolutions <clears throat> of man can adequately control the tongue. So, if no one can tame the tongue, then who can? What can? <clears throat> well, the same one who can deliver the alcoholic from alcohol, the same one who can deliver the drug addict from drugs, the same one who can deliver the sex offender from lust, and the same one who delivered you and me from our sin. His name is Jesus Christ. When we accepted Christ, I don't know if anyone ever told you how it works. Jesus, we know, went back and sat at the right hand of the Father. <clears throat> and anyway, then his spirit, as he talked about in John chapter 14 and John 16, come and dwell within us, his spirit. And uh, that's how it works. So now we've got the Holy Spirit in us. We can quench the spirit, Paul writes about. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, Paul writes about by something we said or did. But the Holy Spirit can give us power to 
But our tongue, keep our tongue under control. What we say, providing that we give him permission to do so. We gave him permission, if you recall, to come into our lives when we asked Jesus to come into us. He didn't kick down the door, did he? <clears throat> we said, come on in. I need a new life. I need something. Something that has to change with me, God. I was 33 when that happened. Some of you were wiser, came to you a little earlier. But you had to give him permission. <clears throat> so if the problem that you have, and I have, controlling the tongue, which James implies that we all have this problem at times, notice that in verse 2, then let me suggest something that I found works pretty good for me. In the morning, <coughs> in the morning before I get into the day, I surrender my tongue, my words to the Lord by asking him to take control of what I say before I say it. Now I've noticed in those days that I've let my tongue get out of control. But I've said something that I shouldn't have said. It's because I neglected to give God permission to take control of it that day. You see, I believe, folks, <clears throat> with a scripture where Jesus said, take one day at a time, is exactly what he's talking about. You take one day. Each new day, you give him control of that day. And that means your tongue, too. You give him permission to take control of your words. That day before you speak. James says no man can tame the tongue. But God can. We know that. And he will. Given permission to do so. <clears throat> I want you to see one portion of scripture. here That I saw years ago. That just jumped out at me. And that's. If you turn your Bibles back to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Verses uh, 13. <clears throat> Picks up at verse 13. You remember, Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. He began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that I am, or the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Verse 14. This is chapter 16. And he said to them, But who do you say, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, he answered, and he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, he says. And Jesus answered him, and he said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, <clears throat> because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's interesting scripture, okay? So Peter is used by the Lord. Now, jump down in that same chapter, about three verses, verse 21. From that and from that time, Jesus uh, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him, took him aside, took Jesus aside. Now, you catch this? And he began to rebuke Jesus. Now that's, he's feeling pretty bold right here. And he says, God forbid it, Lord. Thou shall never, this shall never happen to you. You'll never have to go to the cross and die and be raised up. And what did Jesus do? He turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests but man's. 
Isn't it interesting? If the sequence is like it shows here in the Bible, perhaps there was only a couple minutes. Peter was on a roll here. God speaking through him. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Your father revealed this to you. A few minutes later, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He's used by God. He's used by Satan. Just a few passages. Amazing. How Peter, you know, be careful. You may be on a roll too someday, but be very careful that next few minutes you're not being used by Satan, but you're used by God. That's what we all want. This song that I'm going to attempt to sing here, a few problems, is, uh, is a, it's, it's entitled Calvary. <clears throat> Get this mic on for you. It's entitled Calvary. And uh, it starts out by saying that uh, Peter again, uh, he, you remember Peter, he, he was a good example of a guy that always had his foot in his mouth, didn't he? And uh, so he said, uh, Jesus, in the last supper, he says, well, all you guys are going to scatter, and I'll, I'll have to go there by myself. No, no, not me. These other guys might scatter, Lord, but not me. And, uh, of course, he ate those words, too. But uh, what's interesting about Peter, if you follow his life, is the day of Pentecost, he got a tremendous amount of boldness because the Holy Spirit had come upon him. And all of a sudden, he looked out at thousands. We could know 3,000 came to the Lord that day. He looked out at thousands. He says, you're the one that sent my Savior to the cross. All of a sudden, where is boldness? He was afraid to tell anybody that he stood for Jesus earlier. But not once he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Us too. Power comes from the Holy Spirit to control our tongues as well as our bodies, as our life. That's what it's all about, what Christianity to me is all about. The second verse of this song, Peter tells the first part about his denying. The second part is the woman that was caught in adultery. And she, uh, she remember, as all her uh, accusers left the room and Jesus said to her, go and sin no more. And now she's feeling a few regrets. Now she had good intentions to go back and tell Jesus, thank you, but it's too late. How many people, I think about the pastor's message last week, about when he gets to heaven, he's going to tell his grandma, thank you for praying for me. How many people have prayed for you uh, have no probably have no idea how many or who, but maybe you can remember one that you never did go back and just say thank you. You really made a lot of difference in my life. You changed me. You got me thinking. My wife is the number one person in my life that got me thinking about Jesus, just by her example. What about those people in your life? Isn't that exciting? I mean, you look around the different people that came to Jesus, and it's just because someone dropped a seed one time. Might have made you mad. It did me the first time I heard about it. Might have got you a little upset. But that was the Holy Spirit. And he's still working on us today. And he still wants to give us the power to hold our tongue when it's necessary. I'm going to turn that on.
I said that I would die for him I really thought I he could But there I was denying him I never thought I he would I shamed the Lord I let him down After all he'd done for me And now he's walking up that hill hill called Calvary 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 Was it meant for him? Was it meant for sin and told me go and sin no more and ever since that day I'm not the way I was before I only came to thank him for the life he gave to me but now he's going up that hill a hill cold it meant for me Calvary Calvary Is that my cross he's taking to Calvary Was it meant for him? Was it meant for me? Calvary, oh Calvary Is that my cross he's taking to Calvary? Folks, why a word of prayer? And Father, forgive us for those times, Lord, when we just plain blew it. Take that sin away, Lord. Let's not candy coat it or whitewash it, Lord. It was wrong. And God, help us to show how we can help us to show how we can mend that relationship that we blew with our tongue. Lord, we know you forgave us. It's a lot easier to go to you than it is to go to a person and say, I'm sorry. I spoke out of line. Forgive me, friend. And we pray, God, that that's our prayer, each one of us today. Because each one of us can think of something that we said and wish we wouldn't have. 
We wish we could have taken it back, but we can't. So God, help us now to get on with it and learn by our mistakes. We make plenty of them, Lord, down here. When you're looking through perfect eyes at imperfect people, I can't imagine how you can still love us. But you do. You said that. You enjoy our company and our fellowship. Praise you, Lord. I don't understand it, but you do. Pray, I pray for each person here today, Lord. Just lift them up to you. And I pray that they're sensitive to your spirit. And perhaps there's someone here today that uh, would just like to have a little time of quietness before you just to get things right before they walk out of this building. So we're going to give them that time of silence right now. Thank you, Lord. You spoke to our hearts. And perhaps there's someone here today that would just like to rededicate his or her life to Jesus today. They've not been walking with you for a spell. And uh, they want to come back to you and get in your good graces. They've said some things or done some things that are just out of character with the Christian. And they want to walk with you. Perhaps that person would just like to pray in his or her own heart to surrender their life to Jesus right now. Totally. Tongues and all. You, my friend, can pray this prayer silently in your heart after me. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Forgive me for when I spoke out of line. Forgive me Lord, when I did things that were not glorifying to you. Come into my life again fresh and new today. Fill me with your spirit. Make me the kind of person that you want me to be. Give me the power today from your spirit to overcome what I would say to others control my tongue. I ask in Jesus' name. If you pray their prayer silently in your own heart, we just slip up your hand just like it's here. Anyone? Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your understanding. Thank you for your ear today. And we pray, oh God, we'll go out of here and walk a little closer to you than when we came in. Use us, Lord, to reach people who need Jesus Christ more than they need their next breath of air. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.